This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Claire Monterana, the Federal Chief Information Officer. I moderated a discussion with her recently that was hosted by a firm. Having had the real benefit of uh, sitting in the CIO seat, you know, CIOs play such a critical leadership position, helping with the strategic, technical, and management initiatives across an agency, really helping uh, with driving agency goals through enabling technology. And we're at such an exciting time in the federal government where we are really evolving, you know, in all of the areas, everything from our information security, many agencies moving into a DevSecOps model, really evolving our customer experiencing, our customer experience and leveraging data as a strategic asset, always while focusing on mitigating threats in this um, environment and also driving mission growth. So as a technology leader, CIOs enable and really help the agency's digital business ecosystem as well. And I'll be talking to you a little bit about digital services and some of the exciting things that are going on right now in government. The way I think about the government is thinking every day about the American public and the experience that our customers expect in the 21st century. So, you know, I can order a salad and have that salad delivered to my door or in the old days to my desk. Um, I know who the person is who's delivering it, what exact time it's going to arrive. And those are all expectations that the American public has applied to our government ecosystem. So we know that using data and design to build and deliver more secure digital solutions can really transform how the digital ecosystem works for all of our customers. And our customers also include our federal employees, our retirees, our agency colleagues. And it's important that we think of this as an enterprise. And and that has been something that I have learned through my time at the U.S. Digital Service and my time sitting in the CIO seat at OPM. So, you know, modern government also ensures that these services are simple, effective, but also respectful of the needs of the users, meeting the users where they are. So it's important also for us to think about our vision for this 21st century customer experience and not leaving anyone behind. I think about a 360 degree omni-channel experience providing tools for all customers, no matter where they live or how they work. But we have to be cognizant of, uh, we have urban, rural customers, we have young and old customers, we have some that are tech savvy and some that are tech novices. And we need to design and deliver our solutions to make sure that we are um, supporting people with all abilities and all states of minds. While our solutions are hopefully digital first, they won't be digital only. There's still going to be needs uh, for this evolution for us to sometimes speak to a human to get the job done, or sometimes need to fill out something in person or on paper. And that's okay as we continue on this digital modernization journey. I think COVID-19 has really made some of these issues really front and center for us. And we have been investing in government services 
in a very forward-leaning way, but also in some ways that really underscore the challenges that our agencies deal with in delivering services to our customers. So one of the challenges that I think we are going to continue to focus on is procurement and how procurement impacts our ability to deploy our dollars effectively, meeting the needs of our customers. Also, the scale of our delivering these digital services across this enterprise. You know, many agencies, we are sharing customers, right? You're not just a customer of one agency. You're oftentimes interacting with multiple federal agencies at one time. So one of the really interesting tools that we have is the 21st Century IDEA Act. It is the, I think the actual title is the 21st Century Integrated Digital Experience Act, short, the IDEA Act. And it really um, provides a blueprint for the federal government. It underscores the importance of these digital services, as I mentioned, and helps identify our need to transform some of these very daunting and confusing paper-based processes into digital services. But again, with a focus on making sure that we meet our users where they are from a customer experience perspective. So some of the biggest barriers that agencies have had is this complexity with procurement and funding and dealing with legacy uh, technology. So one of the uh, great projects that we have been working on is the Technology Modernization Fund. And we have um, been able to evolve the TMF with an infusion of a billion dollars in funding that was made available through the American Rescue Plan. And we rolled this out in the evolved uh, framework for that a few weeks ago to agencies, uh, CIOs, CFOs, CISO community, uh, the acquisition community. And it really prioritizes our funding in a couple specific areas, modernizing high priority systems that we already know need to be improved, cybersecurity, which is always front and center, these public facing digital services, And then another area that is really important to me, which is cross-governmental collaboration and scalable services. The other great thing that TMF has done is we have been able to evolve our payment flexibility. So previously, it was a program that you paid back a loan. You basically took out a loan from TMF. And then knowing that you were going to get savings over multiple years, you uh, developed a payment, a payback plan uh, with your CFO and with the TMF team. So we have been able through this COVID and uh, American Rescue Plan funding to evolve and create some repayment flexibilities. And those include full repayment is still an option, partial repayment, and then minimal repayment. So we are going to be working very collaboratively with agencies to see where their projects fit in these different priority areas and um, hope to be able to roll out some really high impact um, projects that are helping us with our cybersecurity maturity across our entire federal enterprise, as well as getting to the work that many agencies have been undergoing for multiple years, which is modernizing those high priority systems and trying to roll out these um, uh, high impact public facing digital services. And uh, and again, as I mentioned, um, really working collaboratively, many CIOs 
that I talked to, we're all solving the same problems, but we're solving them at our own agencies. And we are trying to work as a CIO community across some projects that hopefully will have a great impact, helping us scale, continuing to secure our technology and cybersecurity footprint, and then continue to modernize our digital services. So exciting times to be part of uh, technology in the federal government, exciting times, um, even under these very challenging COVID and uh, economically challenging circumstances. I still think it's a great time to be part of government. I'm excited to work with my colleagues. We have to take a break. My guest today is Claire Monterana, the Federal Chief Information Officer. I moderated a recent discussion with her that was hosted by a firm. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Claire Monterana, the Federal Chief Information Officer. I moderated a discussion with her recently that was hosted by a firm. A couple just come in. Uh, I'll go, I think it's my uh, our old friend, Steve Cooper, former CIO over at Commerce, former CIO at DHS. I'm sure I missed something, FAA. And he, he wants a very simple question. What are the top three priorities of the Federal CIO Council? What comes to mind? I think the uh, uh, cross-governmental collaboration, scalable services, and then uh, I, I guess I would have to put cybersecurity front top of all of those. Uh, there's nothing more important right now that we're focused on. And we're reminded of that with the, all these emergency directives that CISA continues to put on the plates of, of yeah. our CIOs. One quick follow-up on that. When you talk about the scalable services, obviously one of the, the key terms there is shared services. There's been some movement on the QSMOs, one of my favorite acronyms in government, the Quality Service Management Offices. I know there's some things that are still under discussion. I know the PMA is still in, in process. Yeah. What have you seen from the QSMOs? What are you, what's your th current thinking about? Is there anything you can share? Yeah, I think what we're looking for is feedback from the community. I think there have been lots of great ideas that have been um, investigated and tried previously um, in government. But to my point of us as CIOs, we're all solving many of the same problems. So also the cross-governmental collaboration, right? If we're rolling out uh, a, a certain uh, type of software, uh, for example, we're all doing it uh, starting at the base level of moving, say we're moving to the cloud. Uh, there are best practices that all of us can share as a federal CIO community. So I think that collaboration is really key, building out the playbooks, sharing those best practices so that everybody isn't starting from a blank piece of paper and trying to learn in their agencies because each agency is at a different level of maturity. Um, OPM, as you mentioned, we were a little bit further behind in some areas and could have benefited from another agency that had gone on the journey ahead of a couple of years ahead of us. All right. I know there'll probably be more will come out around QSMOs and shared services. And, and yep. I think you guys are in the Biden administration are calling it something new, which is great. I'm going to uh, throw, a, um, if you have a couple more ants that popped up, my uh, friend Aaron Boyd from NextGov. Ask a, a doozy. No, I'm just kidding. It's a good one, though. Is the Office of the Federal CIO working update or and or a new IT modernization plan? Is there a holistic IT modernization policy in the works? As a matter of fact, we kicked something off with the CIO Council last week, trying to get to exactly that point. We, again, we're all trying to solve the same problems. We all understand what the risks are and the opportunities for us to both travel together as an enterprise, but also, again, uniquely look 
at each uh, agency's maturity level, but we are working together to, you know, I had a mentor years ago who used to tell me you stand for something or you stand for nothing. And so we do uh, want to be public about what we stand for as great IT leaders um, in government. And so that, that is something that the CIO Council is, is actively working on. I imagine it's still early on, so so asking yeah. more questions about it may be difficult. But is yeah. is there any uh, sort of vision you have for what this plan strategy, you whatever we're going to call it, is going to look like? Uh, is there anything more you can offer? Not at this time. We're just convening the the working group to actually lean into this. So that's kind of step one: is making sure that we have the right folks with the level of interest at the table and participating, and then bringing the wider CIO council together to convene around those ideas and pressure test them. Because you know, in a working group, sometimes you have aspirational ideas that might not, you know, some blue, real blue sky, um, and sometimes you have to. Uh, bring them down to meet the moment where you are. And again, this pandemic and the economic challenges that the country is facing um, and our agencies are facing, you know, might cause us to put that out in a uh, different um, cadence. So to be determined. All right. I know more will come. We'll bug you on that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the gentleman who's responsible for Fatara in a big way, Rich Butel asks, could you elaborate more on the efforts to implement uh, the IDEA Act we believe it's very important, but getting traction at the agencies has been difficult. So what else yeah, can you talk I, about IDEA? I'm actually really excited about the IDEA Act. I think it is really a, a great blueprint. I know that there hadn't been an enormous amount of guidance provided. So that is something that we are working on internally at OMB um, to make sure that we can cascade the right guidance out to the federal community. I use the term kind of motherhood and apple pie. Um, when I read the IDEA Act, it, it made me smile because there are so many things that I've spent my career working on that are included in the IDEA Act that I'm, I'm really enthused about the opportunity to work on it more collaboratively with my government colleagues. All right, so you, again, you got the words of guidance coming, so uh, obviously more to come yeah. on that, but we should yeah. expect maybe something a little more uh, directive or, or a little more, hey, here's the parameters we need agencies to, to stay in, in, within the guardrails. That's, that's yeah. what this potential guidance would look like. We're working on that in, internally at OMB, noted, knowing that we do need to provide that um, out into the uh, federal environment. All right. Well, if there's one thing I could I would Thanks. offer is um, this started uh, during the Obama administration with Tony Scott, and I thought it was a great idea. Uh, he was releasing some draft guidance for feedback. I, I, yep. and, and I knew during the Trump administration, they followed suit. Uh, I hope that you all are seeing the same benefits of that too. Um, both it's good for folks like me because we love news, but also because uh, <laughs> I think, uh, as you said, the community is impacted. Uh, we have two very similar questions, Kirsten, and uh, hopefully I get her name right, Veva. Right, very similar questions about the partial repayment, minimal repayment plans. People want to know what, what is their criteria or how it will work? If there is a project, we are working out uh, with the uh, project management office at, at GSA, which it actually helps administer TMF. We are working on the specific project by project guidance for that. So the best thing to do is if you have a project, we wholeheartedly encourage people to reach out to us, not to self-edit out of TMF since this is evolving. So um, if you do have a project, please reach out to the PMO office. Um, there are templates on 
tmf.cio.gov slash ARP. So if you take a look there, there's contact information, please reach out and we are happy to walk through um, that model with anybody. And I, we know that we will continue to put guidance out related to that as we see what the incoming is of the project proposals and then continue to communicate on that. And obviously, we, a good reminder to agencies and, and CIOs alike that the project, the, the, the initial consideration of projects, June 2nd, I think I remember correctly, and, and yeah. that's not the only one, but that's if you want kind of expedited. Exactly. We got commitment from the board, which are all federal employees that have other uh, jobs. The board uh, came up with the June 2nd date, and we all made commitments to uh, block enough time to do these priority uh, reviews, knowing that because of COVID and solar winds and the reason that uh, Congress, the intent that Congress gave us the funding, that there's an urgency. And so we made that commitment to spend as much time as we could to get through those initial project proposals to be able to put them on the right course. So we committed that time to June 2nd to kind of force ourselves uh, in, that, in that framework, but we will be on a rolling basis reviewing projects. So it is not a deadline, it is guidance. I, I know that uh, it's, it's still have a couple of weeks, but do you get a sense from talking to CIOs and other agencies, do, do you expect a hundred projects uh, you know, around June 1st? Do you expect a thousand, do you expect five? Do you, do you have any sense? I'd say um, under 100, but a, a pretty robust uh, set of projects are coming in so far. Yeah. And, and, and again, uh, again, trends wise, anything you can comment on around a lot of cybersecurity, a lot on the public facing, are they across those four areas or, or broader? Yeah, primarily, you know, those are such broad areas to an IT portfolio that they really almost everything that we're seeing fits into those categories. So it's nothing surprised us right. so far, to be honest. Which, which is good news, right? I mean, yeah. you know, someone, someone didn't come in and ask for, if for $999 million, we could do this <laughs> and there, there's the whole fund. So, right, that, that one brilliant idea. <laughs> one brilliant idea. It was great, great to meet you in, in, in semi in person and, and thanks so much yeah. for your time and we'll give you the virtual round of applause. Thank you. P pleasure, thanks so much, Jason. Thank you everyone. I'm Jason Miller, and you just heard from Claire Monterana, the Federal Chief Information Officer. I moderated a discussion recently that was hosted by a firm. We have to take a break. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. In the next two segments of the show, I talk with Matt Hartman, the Deputy Executive Assistant Director for Cyber at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS. First of all, Matt, thanks so much for taking the time today. Let's just start with the Einstein program a little bit. One of the reasons why I'm asking about Einstein is there seems to be a, a broad-based misunderstanding among uh, members of Congress, among some people in the, in the vendor community, and even potentially among some people in government about what it is, why it's there, what the goals of it are. This all tags back to the hearing from, I think, March, when some of your colleagues testified, and, and the question was, why didn't Einstein know? And if you want to go back further, there are some I'll say unfortunate articles and some publications that said something to the effect of the government spent a billion dollars and it didn't stop solar winds. And I thought that that was so misinformed. So let me start by asking you the simple question, what is the goal of Einstein and how has that goal evolved over the last, let's say 15 years? Einstein is one component of a federal agency's cybersecurity program. 
it successfully provides network protection and detection capabilities associated with known threats to federal civilian agencies. Uh, with that said, Einstein was not designed to, nor will it ever succeed in blocking every cyber attack against civilian agencies. So you often hear terms like defense in depth or taking a layered approach to cybersecurity. What these approaches convey is that no single security measure or no single security capability can adequately protect an organization uh, or a federal agency, much less the entire federal civilian enterprise as a whole. Uh, there are too many threat actors using too many techniques that evolve every day uh, based on the protection and detection capabilities that we put in place. These facts make the job of the network defender quite challenging, but I think it is worth acknowledging that this landscape is not going to change overnight. That is why CISA is focused on working with the White House, on working with departments and agencies, and on working with Congress to take important steps to evolve our protection and detection mechanisms, uh, inclusive of, but more broadly than uh, Einstein. Our target end state for is for CISA to provide a holistic portfolio of cybersecurity services that, if adopted by a federal agency or another entity, would provide best-in-class cybersecurity capabilities and would provide CISA the visibility that we need to rapidly detect threats across the civilian enterprise. Uh, it's worth noting that Einstein will be a key component of achieving this end state, but it will not single-handedly get us there. Moving into your question about the original reasons for deploying Einstein, the, you know, the initial mandate and, and how that really has evolved over the last 15 years. And, and I will acknowledge up front that talking about 15 years in the world of cybersecurity is, is, feels like centuries. But the National Cybersecurity Protection System, which is the overarching umbrella um, of Einstein and other capabilities and is what people often refer to as Einstein, was established in 2008 as a major acquisition program to provide baseline network intrusion detection and prevention capabilities to federal civilian executive branch agencies. Einstein 1 was deployed in 2004 and Einstein 2, which was deployed in 2008, were designed to collect information related to known or suspected cyber threats and to alert CISA, then not CISA, uh, but now CISA, cybersecurity analyst, to the presence of malicious or potentially harmful computer network activity in federal network traffic. So more specifically, Einstein 1 was designed to analyze network flow records, while Einstein 2 was designed to detect and alert to known or suspected cyber threats using custom signatures and intrusion detection uh, system technology. In 2013, CISA deployed Einstein 3 Accelerated, or E3A, which was the goal of which was to enhance the federal government's cybersecurity analysis, situational awareness, and security response. So E3A really supplements uh, E1 and E2 by adding additional intrusion prevention capabilities and enabling internet service providers under the direction of CISA to detect and block known suspected cyber threats using both classified and unclassified indicators. So. E3A was designed to allow CISA to better detect and respond to known or suspected cyber threats uh, within the federal network traffic that it monitors. I think then you, you mentioned some of the misconceptions, which I think are worth addressing. 
there certainly seemed to be a misconception that Einstein should block every sophisticated cyber threat from achieving its objective in the federal space. Unfortunately, and I'm sure as some of the other folks you've talked to have flagged, this is a false narrative. Uh, Einstein is one component of a layered defense in securing networks, and a, a key piece here is that its success relies on the information provided by commercial and intelligence community partners to inform our detection and prevention mechanisms. It is not going to pick up a novel supply chain attack that was designed for many months and executed within a period of hours and felt to the users as if they were downloading a security upgrade as they typically do. But for that reason, it must be complemented with other capabilities inside agency networks, including the tools that we're deploying today through our continuous diagnostics and mitigation program, as well as uh, tools and services that we're in the process of rolling out through our cybersecurity quality service management office. Uh, it also bears noting that in addition to the capabilities provided by CISA, there will always be some core cybersecurity best practices that federal agencies must continue to implement, things like multi-factor authentication, uh, like cybersecurity awareness training, to account for the human element and prevent against techniques like phishing that are still too frequently successful. All right, there's a lot to dig out from that. Let me maybe back up for a second and start with, this idea of the multi-layered approach. We've heard that over the years, defense in depth and, and multi-layer approach. When you went through Einstein and, and talked about the history of it, walk me through the, the E3A current approach because a lot of it still depends on known signatures, known potential threats, and again, classified and unclassified indicators. Is that, is that where the, this misconception may come from? Is it because, well, Somebody should have known about SolarWinds or Microsoft Exchange or Pulse Secure, you know, the, the VPN stuff. So why didn't the classified folks, is, is, you think that's part of that misconception is because they hear classified and they therefore think the classified, you know, the, the intelligence community knows everything? Yeah, I, I think that could be a piece of it. Uh, but it is not true that, you know, our intelligence community partners know everything. Uh, taking the... The uh, campaign colloquially referred to as SolarWinds, for example, uh, it was not until FireEye detected this activity in its own systems that the federal government, including the IC, uh, was tipped off to this broad campaign that has now been attributed to the Russian intelligence service. So that, I think, is the, the first piece of the misconception. Einstein is only good, as good as the information it is receiving from both the intelligence community as well as commercial partners uh, to enable us to build and load signatures into the system that can detect or prevent similar attack techniques. Uh, and you, you asked about the non-signature based versus non-signature based. I will flag that there is a capability part of Einstein 3 or E3A uh, that is known as the logical response aperture or LRA. Uh, this capability was developed as an initial attempt to utilize art, uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning techniques uh, with network-based data in an attempt to identify specific 
suspicious malicious traffic without prior intelligence that could be deployed in a signature-based detection and prevention capability. So this is now deployed at two internet service provider locations within the NCPS Einstein 3 architecture. It has been a valuable analytic platform and it's quite frankly, it is it's limited in its ability to detect verifiable malicious network-based activity. So as a non-signature-based component of NCPS, there are a few limitations, including, again, limited network traffic and routing, uh, analytic feedback and false positives, as well as lack of visibility into uh, agency environments. Our plan moving forward is to focus this capability as a component of our analytic environment where it could be used from an artificial intelligence and machine learning perspective across all of our uh, growing and increasing by the day cybersecurity data sets. You almost answered the question, right? What, what comes next? Because it's interesting that um, that this AI ML uh, software, this capability is, is in on two ISPs. Is there also plans to extend it to other ISPs or extend it to other agency networks as part of the E3A tool set? So that is still under investigation and has some uh, procurement sensitivities. So I won't get into that at this time. All right, obviously something to maybe follow up with you in the future as, as we go through this. The other piece of this that, that I think I want to go through is a lot of people uh, over the years, there was a, a question about Einstein and whether or not it was the challenge of the funding issue, right? Was Einstein funded? Did agencies have a reason to implement it? One of the, the reasons why I think the continuous diagnostics and mitigation program has been and continues to be successful is Congress funded it. And without asking you to comment on Congress, but has funding been an issue for Einstein? Is that one of the reasons why there's people look at it and see, well, it's a lot of money, but not a lot of benefit? I think that's a fair question. I don't personally think that funding has been a challenge with, you know, some of the challenges or shortcomings that we have seen with Einstein. I think really, you know, the big the big challenges can be summed up in a few areas, given that this is a program that has now spanned 17 years. The first challenge that comes to mind is the lack of a cohesive federal civilian network architecture. This inconsistency leads to additional challenges for the development and delivery of enterprise capabilities that could provide enhanced protections for departments and agencies, as well as uh, situational awareness for CISA. The second piece is that the cyber domain is exceptionally dynamic. So when you take a program that has a mandate from 2004 and translate it to 2021, there is going to be inevitably quite a bit of churn and change. The technology to be defended and the technology used to defend information technology assets has evolved rapidly in this time. The old analogy used to help understand Einstein, where E1 was the camera at the entrance of a facility logging who enters and who exits. E2 added the ability to detect and set off an alarm when people on a watch list attempted to gain access to that facility. And E3A added a guard post to block prohibited cars or vehicles from entering the facility. That analogy no longer works in a world where the network perimeter has vanished. And this was an analogy that we were using uh, as of a handful of years ago. 
The rapid adoption, adoption of cloud and mobile technology of federal employees increasingly working from home or working remotely, uh, these are great productivity tools for employees who can now work anywhere and collaborate as if they were in the next cubicle over. But to complicate matters, cyber adversaries and the threats they pose to federal agencies are evolving daily, and, and that's not even a hyperbole. When the COVID-19 pandemic drove federal employees to largely work from home last March, our adversaries immediately began targeting vulnerable VPN devices as a means to gain access to agency networks. So as a result, we are really focused at CISA on evolving all of our core programs and capabilities to provide the protections at the network level, at the host level, and anywhere else that we can secure the civilian enterprise while increasing CISA's ability to rapidly detect threats. We are also working closely with OMB and the interagency to drive toward uh, the adoption of more sophisticated security architectures, including zero trust concepts uh, that are focused on identifying and securing the federal government's highest value data. And, and lastly, as you know, as zero trust principles continue to gain traction and become more mainstream, I think it's important to consider, you know, the first principle of assume breach. Um, it's important to acknowledge this principle because from a security prevention strategies and capabilities simply will not be able to guarantee safety from every attack. Uh, when we have determined well-resourced and highly sophisticated adversaries dedicating hundreds or even as has been reported in the SolarWinds campaign, thousands of resources to execute an intricately designed supply chain attack, for example, we need to shift our mindset from prevention to rapid detection and really focus on minimizing impact across civilian agencies. Matt, on that note, let's take a quick break. My guest today is Matt Hartman, the Deputy Executive Assistant Director for Cybersecurity at CISA. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Matt Hartman, the Deputy Executive Assistant Director for Cybersecurity at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency at the Homeland Security Department. I want to go down that path a little bit more as you look forward. One of the things that either Eric Goldstein or Brendan Wales mentioned at the hearing was the review of Einstein and its capabilities and how to continue to evolve it. Is there anything more you can talk to right now about CIS's plans for Einstein you know, in the short term or long term? I will talk more broadly to the evolution of CISA cyber programs inclusive of Einstein. So it's a challenging question. I, I feel strongly having worked at NPPD and CISA now since 2008 that CISA has met the original intent of Einstein. And that that's a question that frequently comes up. Through Einstein Alert, we routinely find instances of anomalous or potentially malicious activity, which are later confirmed through agency or CISA incident response engagements. I can also state confidently that our mandate as the lead civilian cybersecurity agency also looks very different today than it did 15 years ago. And because of that, we are constantly working to evolve and modernize our portfolio of cybersecurity services and capabilities. This evolution isn't unique to Einstein. As I mentioned before, we're, we're thinking at this point about Einstein, about CDM, about our cyber QSMO office, um, and how to evolve all of these capabilities, noting that we were only designated as the lead for the cybersecurity QSMO one year ago today. This is how quickly evolution and modernization is happening in this space. But I will say that the evolution is underway, 
It will accelerate in the coming months as a result of new authorities provided in this past year's National Defense Authorization Act, uh, as well as through the execution of funding we received through the American Rescue Plan. Uh, and a prime example of this related to Einstein is that as E2, which is our network-based intrusion detection system, continues to lose efficacy due largely to a, an increased reliance on encryption, uh, we are losing visibility into network traffic, and we plan to counter this by moving our focus from the network perimeter to the endpoint or the host by deploying endpoint detection capabilities uh, across civilian agencies. This is something that we have been working on um, in a pilot or proof of concept fashion for the better part of 18 months now. We have seen some great successes, really pairing CISA's threat hunting analysts with, uh, who really have a, a intelligence driven focus with the agency security operations center analysts who have a tremendously rich understanding and context of their environments to help rapidly deploy or rapidly detect uh, anomalous activity and potentially malicious activity at the at endpoint to include lateral movement. So our target end state again is is for CISA to provide a holistic portfolio of services, whether that's through NCPS, whether it's through CDM, whether it's through QSMO, or whether it's through another program that we haven't even invented yet. But we would like to provide a marketplace of services that a federal agency, particularly a smaller micro agency of which there are 79 small and medium sized agencies who quite frankly today have very inconsistent cybersecurity programs. We would like to provide them the ability to come to the CISA marketplace and obtain uh, the cybersecurity CISA stamped uh, services that would provide best in class capabilities and would provide CISA the visibility that we need to do our job and detect threats across the civilian enterprise. All right, so obviously in that last bit there, you're talking about the QSMO, the Quality Service Management Office, one of my favorite acronyms in government. And it's also part of the CDM shared services effort as well, I imagine, correct? That's absolutely right. One other piece, if, if you don't mind, just to, because since we haven't had an opportunity to touch on some of the specific examples of where we are still using Einstein today and getting great value in the program. As we previously discussed, there has been a lot of attention on the quote unquote failures of Einstein for uh, not detecting the, the solar winds campaign, for example. But however, you know, to this day, we, we use Einstein every day as a, a, an extremely rich data source to enable us to detect anomalous activity that may be malicious activity at departments and agencies. A couple recent examples. So as part of the SolarWinds campaign, Einstein was extremely useful in terms of identifying suspicious network traffic from a handful of federal civilian agencies that upon further investigation by those agencies helped identify additional victims of this campaign. Now, it's worth noting that Einstein didn't prevent the intrusion, nor was it able to detect the intrusion until, in this case, we received threat information from private sector partners to inform our detection and prevention mechanisms. But as soon as CISA received indicators of this activity from industry partners, we immediately leveraged Einstein to identify and notify agencies of anomalous activity on their networks, which helped accelerate response, remediation, and recovery activities at those agencies, and really helped CISA and our 
uh, asset response role as part of the Cyber Unified Coordination Group, understand and provide to our partners the, the full scope of this campaign. Without Einstein, we may have departments and agencies today that still did not know that they were victims of this campaign. But it, its ability through the, our E1 capability, the NetFlow capability to, after the fact, you know, look at indicators and identify potential indications of compromise, it has proven extremely useful. And this is really just one example in the last few months of CISA being alerted via Einstein of a potential compromise of a federal agency's network. Uh, we are consistently flagging this sort of anomalous activity to agencies, which then kicks off further investigation and, and, and incident response activities as appropriate. So I just wanted to get that point across because, you know, while we in the news, we are hearing regularly about Einstein's shortcomings, this is still a program uh, and, and capabilities that are extremely useful to the federal civilian government in being able to detect activity in, at other agencies that we have found either at one agency or in the private sector. Are you able to offer just a little bit more details around the, the role Einstein played during the solar winds initial attack, you said obviously can, can detect or prevent, but as soon as you receive those indicators, what happened? You were able to take those indicators, put them into Einstein and what? We took the indicators, we put the, them into Einstein in, in what we were able to then see is across the interagency, uh, particular net flow or particular calls out, call outs to IP addresses or domains uh, that were known to be part of this campaign at other federal departments and agencies or in the private sector. So once uh, FireEye was on to this activity, what then happens is we start in the network defenders across the country, start sharing uh, indicators of compromise, which we can then look for through historic NetFlow traffic across the civilian enterprise through Einstein, where we were able to then find additional victims, notify those victims who confirmed that they were indeed victims upon further investigation. This may be sensitive, but roughly how many more victims, you know, could you give me a number or at least give me a range more than five, less than 10? Well, it was, it was multiple. Okay. I, I, we were, we were, I understand. <laughs> Well, so there was, it is, it is very sensitive in, in its agency information. So some agencies were uh, notified by Microsoft of, you know, anomalous activity in their 365 environments. A couple of agencies were able to detect this activity on their own. And then there were multiple agencies that were able to confirm their status of being compromised based on indications that CISA provided through Einstein. Matt, this has been a great conversation. I could talk to you for much longer, but uh, I know our time is up. So let me just thank my guest, Matt Hartman, is the Deputy Executive Assistant Director for Cybersecurity at CISA. Matt, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Jason. Really appreciate your time. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.